Amen. Ephesians chapter number six is the chapter where we see uh, the armor of God. And one of the things that uh, we've been talking about the past few weeks at our church is that we all are facing a battle in the coming days. I believe that the battle in the church is coming down to two fronts, okay? These two fronts that the church has a battle for, number one is the truth. Number one is the truth because right now there is... The closer we get to the day of Christ's return, the more deception is going to be entered into the world through the church. Uh, you know, one of the uh, verses it says that the false teachers will rise among you. And inside the church, there's got to be this battle contending for the truth of the word of God. If we're not willing to contend for the truth of the word of God, we're going to be deceived. You can mark it down. If you're not willing to fight for the truth, you're going to get deceived. You've got to be willing to get involved in the battle, get engaged in contending for the truth. What does that mean? It means to dig down into the word of God, find what the truth is, and not let it go. When people begin to teach in error, hold them accountable for it. Amen? And the second battle that we're facing as a church is we've got to get out of the four walls mentality. We've got to get out of the mentality of all church is is an hour on Sunday gathering together in one place. We're the church, but we're supposed to take the message to the lost. We're supposed to take the message to the lost. And so we've got to get out of the mentality of this four wall mindset. And we've got to get involved in the mission that God has. As we do that, as we get involved in those two battles, you're going to see an attack of the enemy on your soul. As we were singing about earlier, attacks without and within. The enemy's going to come against you when you begin to stand for the truth of the word of God. And what we see here in Ephesians 6, this is the armor of God. This is the armor of God uh, chapter. I want to point out a couple of things in, in beginning in verse number 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that, that goes to show you that if you're not willing to put on the armor of God, you probably will not be able to stand against the attacks of the devil. You probably will not be able to stand if you just simply think you can just ride it out. You're going to have to be proactive about your faith when the enemy comes at you because the, the, the moment you begin to live for God, the moment you begin to raise your hand and, and follow after God, the enemy is going to come after you and the enemy is going to do everything he can to remove the fire of God in your life. How many of you have known somebody that started out on fire for God, but for some reason or the other, the fire died out? And, and what happened was along the way, they grew disillusioned. Disillusionment sets in. Disillusionment is a product uh, uh, or defined by things not being the way we thought they would be. Things not being the way we thought they would be, it breeds disillusionment. When somebody gets disillusioned, they don't care anymore. The song's playing, the band is marching, and they're just sitting there looking at the ground. That's somebody that has been disillusioned. And what happens in the church world is when we stop focusing on the main thing, we will grow disillusioned. 
when we stop focusing on the main thing, we will get disheartened, we will get distracted, and we will get discouraged. And it's our job to make sure that we're looking for the right thing, that we're focused on the right thing, and that we're involved in the right thing. When, when we get in, in, involved in this battle that the Lord's talking about, it is incumbent upon the believer to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you're not willing to put on the whole armor of God, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And so one of the, the things that I want to get across, look at this next verse. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When, when you begin to live for God, you have entered into a battlefield, but you can't see them with your eye. When you begin to live for God, there is an enemy after the fire in you. And some of you here, you just got a flicker going on right now because you're getting whooped. And, and, and what we've got to do is learn to put on the armor of God so that we can stand in those days of affliction because the enemy's gonna do everything he can do to grow you disillusioned. But I wanna tell you this morning that if you'll keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he cannot defeat you. The, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is a line that the enemy cannot cross. If you will stand your ground, you will be victorious. But when you refuse to stand and when you refuse to put on the armor of God, when you refuse to contend, you set yourself up to get whooped by the enemy. Now, one of the things is, as we go through the armor of God, we're not going to go through all of these for the sake of time because I want to get into one particular one, beginning in verse number 18. There's one particular area uh, when we're talking about fighting and we're talking about standing our ground that, that is oftentimes overlooked. And, and, and what happens, if you don't apply this part of the armor of God, you will grow disillusioned. It, it, what will happen is you will lose the vision. You will lose the vision. How many of you remember the day that you got saved? How many of you remember that time whenever your sins were brought up before your eyes? And, and a preacher said, your sins have separated you from God and there's nothing you can do about it. Your sins are so vile and so wicked, you can't work it off. But Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross for you. And, 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 and he died on the cross bearing our sins. And he died and he rose from the grave victorious, which is the gospel. And that gospel message pierced your heart, amen? And, and you hear the words of Jesus. He says, you know, if, if, if you seek to save your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll gain it. And you heard that message and you said, me, that's me. I, I, I want that. I'll, I'll turn from my sin. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And in that moment, in that moment, you didn't put any conditions on Jesus. You didn't say, I'll, I'll save me as long as you can give me a nice job, a nice house, a, a, a great spouse, and, and a, you know, a retirement. 
Nobody put those conditions on God when they went to Calvary. But somehow along the way, after Calvary, the enemy begins to distort your vision on what you're looking towards, what you're working towards, and, and, and what the, 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 the message of the gospel is. And so we've got to regain our vision. We've got to get our eyesight back. We've got to remember what the main thing of the gospel is. The more that we go through life, the more the enemy is going to attempt to grow you disillusioned, to, to create a loss of vision. Many, many men and women of God who were strong for the Lord at some time or the other began to not fight back began to grow disillusioned, began to get more focused on cars and houses and this, that, and the other, and, and get off track and move off of what God has for them. How many times have we seen churches go in battles because somebody painted the walls a certain color and another family didn't want it that color? How many times have we seen things like this happen in the church what has happened is we've lost the vision. We've lost our purpose. We've lost the mission. And as a group of believers, we have to stay on point. We have to stay on mission. That's what this message is about. This message is about remaining focused on the vision that God has for us. Remaining focused on the vision that God has for us. Look what it says in verse number 18. It says, praying always, and, and right there, that got a lot of us. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So we're talking about Spirit-filled prayer, okay? Letting the Spirit pray through you. Sometimes somebody asks me, you know, well, I don't know. How do you pray? I don't know what to pray for. And I'll say, well, ask God. Ask God what you should pray for. God, he, he, he didn't lose his voice. He's, he's not, you know, having to walk around with a cane. You don't have to wake him up from a nap. Ask God what you need to pray for, and God will tell you what to pray for. So pray always with all prayer, supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching with perseverance. You want to know one of the problems that the church has is we don't watch anymore. We don't watch anymore, and if we do watch, we don't watch with all perseverance. What does it mean to watch with perseverance? It means that we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when things begin to rise up to distract us from our purpose and from our mission, we, we cut it out of our life. We put blinders on. If you've ever seen a horse get blinders on, that's the way that you've got to be with distractions. The, you know that the enemy will bring people into your life to pull you away from God. The enemy will put, plant, put thoughts, he will plant thoughts in your life to pull you away from God. If, if you, begin to, you begin to serve God, you'll get all kinds of crazy thoughts. You'll have all kinds of people trying to pull you this way, that way, and the other. And, and, and if you're going to follow after God, this is a part of the armor of God that you've got to get down, watching with all perseverance. One of the problems that happens is we, we tend to lose focus when things don't happen when we want them to happen. Amen? Do you know that delay, delay is a test? Delay is a test. There's not a person alive that's never been delayed about something. 
delay. You know, whenever God gives a promise, there's always going to be a delay. If you look at, you look in Galatians, it, you know, we're supposed to, um, we're supposed to hold on to those promises that God's given us. You know, you, you know that you're going to reap if you faint not, right? But how many people faint during the delay? How many people faint during the delay? Because we're not willing to stand and watch with all perseverance. We fall to the wayside as soon as the enemy brings somebody into our life that, that pulls us away from God. Or as, as soon as a job pulls us away from God. I've seen, you know how many times we've prayed for people when, when they need a job? We pray for them to get a job. God blesses them with a job. And then guess what? You never see them again. Need a car. Will you pray with us for a car? They get a car. You never see them again. Need a house. Need a spouse. Need this, need that. What is that? That's people using God. Amen. Well, well they, didn't tr they didn't intentionally seek out to use God, but that's what happened. Because as soon as the blessing came, they grew disillusioned. As soon as the blessing came, they grew disillusioned. They lost their eyesight. They lost the vision of what the main thing is. And it's not new. This isn't new. This isn't something that's just our generation. All throughout time, all the people of God have faced the same battle. When delay comes, it's a test whether you're going to be faithful or faithless. Delay is a test. When you enter into a time of delay, will you be found faithful or faithless? I want to show you an example of this back in the book of Exodus chapter number 32. Exodus chapter number 32, because I want you to see this is not something new. This is something that God's people have repeatedly experienced all the way back in Exodus 32. Now that's in the Old Testament, second book, Genesis, Exodus, 32nd chapter. As you're turning, I'm going to just kind of set this up for you as you're turning. This is shortly after God has delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. Egypt represents bondage. Egypt represents sin. And how many of you know that, that God delivers people out of bondage? How many of you know that God is a deliverer? God didn't stop delivering after Egypt. God still delivers today. Some of us have been so bound up and chained up, and then when you lifted your hand and you went to Calvary, God broke those chains. God brought deliverance in your life from every single bondage, and, and, and we need to thank God for that. And, and here, Israel, they got brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, you know, and, and, they, and God brings them over here, and he's about to bring the Ten Commandments. He's giving the law to Moses. But how many of you know delay, delay is a test and it reveals whether you're faithless or faithful. Okay. What, watch what happens here in Exodus 32. Now Moses had been up on, on, on Mount Sinai for a while. Moses had been up there for a while. Sometimes, you know, you, 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 you go with some folks for a while, but things don't happen as quick as you want it to happen. Amen? Sometimes you go with folks for a while and things just don't happen as quick as you want it to happen. God has a reason for the wait. God has a reason for the delay. 
And in this delay, the reason that Moses was up there for so long, not only was he getting all kinds of, uh, of the law, all, you know, 600 of them, but watch what happens. God proves the people. God proves the people to see where their heart was. Look what happens in verse number one, Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And now, before we go on, let me show you the first problem. Let me show you the first problem. It says, when the people saw Moses delayed. You know what their first problem was? They were looking at man and not God. Amen. You've got to look past man. As, the, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You've got to look past the man and you've got to look unto God. If you look to man, you're going to falter because a man's going to let you down. Man's going to cut you off in traffic. A man's not going to fulfill a promise. A man is a man, but God is God. And the first problem that they encountered, listen, it wasn't Moses that led them out of Egypt. It was God. God was leading them out of Egypt. It, you, God, it wasn't Moses that was in the cloud and in the fire. It wasn't Moses that parted the water. It wasn't Moses that brought the plagues. It was God. God was in the cloud. God was in the fire. God was the one that delivered them. And the moment they get up there and time starts ticking and delay begins to set in, their minds begin to think and they begin to look to Moses and then they fell. Then they fell. How far is your fall? If God leads you up out of slavery, if you've been in years of slavery and God, it wasn't man, it was God that delivered you. And then just a few days later, you're waiting at the foot of the mountain and you say, well, we don't know what happened to this guy. Up, make us new gods. They get Aaron and they want him to make new gods. How far is that fall? That shows you, that shows you how real the battle is. Some people say, well, I want to see God move. Well, they saw God move and they fell right after that. It's not about what you see with your eyes. It's what you believe with your heart. It's not what you see with your eyes, what you believe with your heart. Do you believe? It's about faith. It's about faith. That's why, you know, it says that we must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You've got to believe. You have got to believe. So here's their first problem is that they were looking unto Moses. You see that? The people saw Moses. Instead of saying, wow, God's taken a while with him, they were saying, where's Moses? That, that reveals a lot. It reveals a lot. If you're looking towards men, you're setting yourself up for failure. Let me, let me bring it back into a, 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 a better avenue too. 
If you're looking to things that this world can give you, you're also going to get let down. If you're looking for if you're looking for things that this world can give you, if you're looking for cars and houses and, and health and all kinds of things like that, you know what? Something's going to happen. Some point in time, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to lose a job. There's going to be a delay in promises. And that's going to reveal where your faith truly is. Whether you're after God for goods or, or whether you're after a good God. Are you after God for his goods or are you after a good God? There's a huge difference. And that difference is playing out right here in Exodus. They were after God's goods. And as soon as Moses was delayed, they, let's, let's make up a new God. Let's do something new. Do you know that sometimes the gospel is not enough for folks? You know, sometimes it's not enough just to worship God. Sometimes you got to use smoke machines. Sometimes you've got to use laser lights and smoke machines because it's not enough just to worship God. You've got to have more. Well, that's what, that's what their problem was. God wasn't enough. They needed more. And when they were tired of waiting, they decided just to make new gods. Let's just do something new. Tired of this waiting on God. Tired of this. Well, they were looking at Moses and they got off track. Look what it says in verse two. Aaron, instead of rebuking them, Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. Now, that gold, that gold came out of Egypt. It should have been a remembrance of God's deliverance. You know, so many times people have been set free of some kind of bondage from God, but then they use that freedom as a license to sin against God. To which Paul said, God forbid, but so many people, they use their freedom that God bought them, their deliverance that God gave them. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I can do whatever I want. And then they use that freedom to sin against God. What happens here? Aaron, he, he gets this gold that came out of Egypt and he uses it to sin against God. What an amazing rebuke. All the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. How silly is that? They just made them. But yet they declared, This is what brought us up out of Egypt. How silly is that? Do you see, whenever you grow disillusioned, you'll do some crazy stuff. If you've ever seen anybody grow disillusioned, disheartened, disenfranchised, if you've ever seen anybody grow disillusioned, they will do some crazy stuff and blame it on anything. Amen? And this is exactly what happened to Israel because... The first problem was they were not watching with perseverance. They were looking unto man. 
They weren't watching with perseverance. They were looking unto man. Now let me show you something over in Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Now, in this passage, this is a parable that the Lord Jesus is giving. And in this parable, he's basically saying that the Lord of the house has gone away and when he comes back, will he find the servant faithful or faithless? It's a big test. Now, here in, in, in Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse number 35. It says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. When he, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. See, what the Lord's looking for is people that look for him. People that wait on him. People that he's enough. He's more than enough. But for some people, it's not. He said to let your loins be girded about and your light burning with that, the loins girded about what that is. That's, you know, they had these long robes and they would tie them around their legs, you know, and so that they could run. What that speaks to is removing hindrances from you going further in God. That's the correlation. If you have a hindrance to you going after God, you need to remove the hindrance. If you just can't get past this, can't get past that, you know, well, I was going to read, but every time I go to read, I, you know, the TV's on and it just distracts me. Well, turn the TV off. You know, that, that is, a, that is a, 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 a symbolic thing, the loins girded. He's not talking about literally tie your clothes around your legs. He's talking about removing that which restricts you. See, those, if you've ever tried to walk in something that's long and stiff, you can't hardly move your legs. And if you're trying to run, you're going to fall down. You've got to bring that thing up and tie it. That's what he's talking about, removing those hindrances. Are there things in your life that are hindering you from following after God? That's what he's talking about. This is what it means to watch. This is part of watching, is removing the things in your life that hinder you from God. It's not a game to him. It's not a game. No, and the second thing is to let the light burn. Let the light burn. You know, one of the marvelous things about, about um, Abraham, whenever he went up to, to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah, which is where Calvary was, as Abraham was going up that mountain, he carried a fire, the Bible says. Do you know the thing about carrying that fire? When the wind started blowing, he had to stop and let it stay. Then he could only move as quick as the fire would stay lit. Some of you, some of you have not paid attention to the fire in your life. Some of you have been far too long from going back to those altars and getting right with God. Some of you have let that fire get down to where it's barely, barely distinguishable. 
And you need to get back on your knees, get back on your face and fall back in love with God again. Remove those restrictions in your life. Remove those hindrances in your life and let God blow by the Holy Spirit on that fire again that the fire would burn again. You know, the only thing that keeps you back from an altar is the devil. I promise you it's not God that's keeping you back. It's not God that tells you to stay in your seat. It's not God to tell you to not pray. It's not God that tells you to not seek him. It's not God that tells you to stop reading your word. It's not God that tells you to sit down while everybody's worshiping. It's not God that tells you those things. It is the devil. And so this light burning in us is, a, is something that we've got to watch for. It says that you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. So the correlation is people that wait for the Lord keep the light burning and keep their loins girded. That's the correlation. Why would you do that? Why would you wait for the Lord? This is vision. This is vision. Why would you wait for the Lord? Why would you wait for the Lord? Think about that. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. You know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to find everybody looking for him. You know, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be so many people that are doing things they shouldn't be doing. So many people, not only those not doing what they shouldn't do, some people just aren't doing anything. Some people, just the fire's gone out and they just done. They're just clicking the remote, watching TV. When God's called us to watch with perseverance, remove restrictions and let the fire burn. That's the problem with most of us that cost too much. Cost too much. We don't want to do it. It's not enough. Tell me how I can get a new car. Don't tell me to persevere. And so what you see here is, is the Lord says that it will be blessed for this servant when he comes if he finds his servant waiting. How many of you have gone away? And you come back home and you expect your family to be, oh, you're back. Oh, we're so glad you're back. How many of you have, but you open the door and everybody's just like, oh, you're back? They weren't expecting, right? Big difference, isn't it? How will the Lord see you when he comes back? Will you be watching and expecting? Or will you go, Oh, you're back already? I'm not done. You know, I was, I was telling uh, this earlier. Whenever I was a kid, I, they, they used to pray all the time, you know, in, in church. Lord Jesus, come back today. Come today, Lord. Come get us today. And I would be saying, not today, God. Not today. Give me a few years. I want to grow up. I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, I wasn't saved yet. That was normal, right? It was normal. But you know what? Everything changed the day I got saved. You know, the day I got saved, I no longer cared about the things of this world. I was tired of this world. I was tired of this world, and I wanted God, and I wanted him now. 
I wanted him to come get us now. You know what? That is an indicator of a heart that's right with God. When you can truly pray, Lord, come today. Come today. But you know what? As we grow, as we go through this life, we get disillusioned and we start thinking, Lord, come back in a few years. I want to see who's going to become the next president. I want to get this job. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want this and I want that. And we begin to exchange the prize of our heart for the trinkets of the world. We begin to lay down the prize of our heart. There was a day that we went to the, to the Calvary. There was a day that we lifted our hands and believed on Jesus for our souls, for salvation. There was a day that we said no to the world and yes to Jesus. There was a day. But then along the way, delay came, just like those children of Israel. When the delay came, we began to look for the trinkets of the world again. Well, I, you know, I did say come today, but now, you know, why don't you just come in about 10 years? After I have this and after I get that, what has happened? Our hearts have grown cold. That's what's happened. We have begun to look to this world instead of to Jesus. We've begun to watch for the latest trends and the new thing rather than for the coming king. You know, when you look for the new thing and not the coming king, your heart's grown cold. Your heart's grown cold because that delay has got, got you. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, you see, there's a, like I said earlier, there's this battle that we're in. We're all involved in this battle. If you're alive, you're involved in the battle. And, and the battle is with powers and principalities of darkness. And the powers and principalities of darkness are doing everything they can do to get you distracted from the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. From watching and persevering to Jesus. Watching to Jesus. So you, you see in this parable that Jesus is giving, he said, you know, a, a guy goes away and he comes back. And when he comes back, when his servants are watching, he says those servants are blessed. But you know what's going to happen to the servant that's not watching? You know what's going to happen to that servant? Not good stuff. Not good stuff. Let me show you. Move, move down in, in, in this passage to verse number, uh, verse number 40. Jesus says in verse number 40, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. You know, if, if you knew when Jesus was coming back, you could probably orchestrate some stuff. The problem is you don't know. Amen. Not only do you not know when Jesus is coming back, you don't know that this might be your last day on earth. Amen. You may not make it out of the parking lot. You're not guaranteed to make it out. Amen. It's not a promise, it's not a guarantee. But, but see, the thing is, you know, everybody makes these predictions about when Jesus comes, Jesus coming this day, Jesus, you know, what was it? May 2012, May 2016, May 2018. Everybody's got predictions about when Jesus is coming back. The only guarantee you have is when they pick a day, it's not that day. Because he said it, he's coming on an hour when they think not. 
okay? What's the problem with that? Well, the problem is it should create expectancy in you. But what it does is it reveals whether you're faithful or faithless. And today, if you're faithless, today's the day to repent of faithlessness. Today's the day to repent of faithlessness. The, the delay reveals where your heart is. And if your heart's not right, today's the day to get it right. Today's, don't delay another day. Don't delay another day. Watch, watch this. Uh, move down to verse number 45. <clears throat> now he's talking about the servant who was watching. Remember the servant that was watching was blessed. Amen? The watching servant was blessed. But if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him as portion with the unbelievers. What is it? What is it? This person who said God is delaying, they did the same thing that, that the children of Israel did in Exodus. They said there's a delay. Now we got time to party. If you go back and read that passage in Exodus, read the rest of it, you'll see they partied naked. They got drunk. They had this big party. They were just having a party. Life was grand. Moses was up on the mountain. Their God was a golden calf. They could tell the golden calf what to do, kick it down if they didn't like it, do what they want when they want, which is a type of what people in the church, some of those folks do today. Tell God what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, and how he's going to do it. And if he don't do it that way, we'll kick him to the curb and do something different. And all these people, they begin to, what did they do? They begin to feast off of the world. Eat, drink, beat people. What is this? This means that they began to seek after the things of this life and not the things of eternal life. It means they began to focus on the things of the here and now instead of the eternal. The, the, the thing is, when delay comes, it reveals what your focus is. And, and, and this is the big one, but you can look at little ones. When God promises you something, when God promises you something and you don't see it right away, that's a delay. And the delay will reveal whether you're faithful or faithless. See, if you're faithful, you'll say, well, it's not now, but I know it's coming. It's not now, but I know it's coming. Did God promise it? Yes. Well, he's faithful. Are you? He's faithful. Are you? That's the thing. And see, Jesus promised that he was going to come back. He's faithful, but are you? And let me show you this in, in um, John chapter 14. This will be our last passage, John 14. See, when, when disillusionment sets in, we operate for man's pleasure or for the world's goods. If you've grown disillusioned, you seek to please a man or you seek the world's goods. 
means the fire's not there anymore. You begin to love things of this world more than you love God. That's a dangerous place to be, friend. God should be the number one person in our lives. You want to see a successful marriage? They both love God more than each other. Now, what you see here is disillusionment attacks everybody because delay is part of the process. Delay is how God grows you. It reveals where you're at. In John chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 1, let not your heart be troubled. Now, how many of you have had a troubled heart this week? Do you see that that's red letters? What we're about to read should supersede every issue in our lives. I want to tell you the main thing right now is what we're about to read. This is the main promise, what we're about to read. It's even in red letters. Now, when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, he's not telling you, I'm going to force you to be at peace. He's not telling you, I am going to force you to be happy and content to live for me. He doesn't force you to be happy and content to live for him. He compels you. He bids you come. He bids you to look to the cross. Isn't that what it says in Hebrews? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the what? Cross. Despising the shame sat down at the right hand of the Father. He bids you to look to him. He bids you to look to the cross, but he doesn't force you. He doesn't force you to make him the apple of your eye, even though you're the apple of his. He doesn't force you to make him your number one. He compels you to. Let not your heart be troubled. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just gave us you know, a, a, a pill every morning and forced us to be content and happy and not troubled? Happy pill. But do you know that not everybody is content and happy in Jesus? Not everybody can say what he says here. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, look at the context, though. Look at the context here. He, he's about to go to the cross. He's just a few days away from Calvary. And he knows that his disciples are going to be a little sad. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? This is who our hope was in. So he's telling them beforehand, don't let your heart be troubled. But he's telling us too, don't let your heart be troubled. Listen, church, listen. If you are living for somebody or something in this world, your heart will be constantly at trouble. You will be like the sea, the waves of the sea. Ebbing and flowing is how your peace will be. 
When, when you get up and it's a good day, everything's great. And when it's a bad day, where's God? That's not how you're supposed to live. That's not the life that God has for you. God has a better way. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, how do you do it? How do you let not your heart be troubled? Depends on what you're living for. Depends on what you're living for. Depends on what you're looking towards. Depends on where your heart is. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you living for the things of this life? You know that there's a lot of cars in boneyards that people work two jobs, stayed away from their family for? A lot, of, a lot of cars that are nothing but a pile of rust right now that people, you know, when they didn't get it as soon as they wanted it, they walked away from God. When they couldn't afford it, they worked two jobs and walked away from their family. Cut people out of their lives. Why? For a piece of rusted metal. What's the main thing for us? If you put your eyes on people, you know they're going to let you down. If you put your eyes on Jesus, you know you're going to be okay. Amen? You know you're going to be okay. Now, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know that's where Jesus is today? Amen. You know he's in heaven? Amen. You know he's in heaven? And if you belong to him, do you know he's built for you a place there? There's a place with your name on it. Not your church's denomination. Your name. If you receive him as Lord and Savior, he's made a place for you in heaven for eternity. It's yours if you'll receive him. That's more than this life has to offer you. That's more than this life has to offer you. He's offered you a place in his presence where his glory outshines the sun. He's offered you a place. Room at the table for you. A place to live for eternity. Now, he said he went to go prepare a place for you. Verse number three. Now, you know these, these disciples of his that saw his death on the cross, you know this became more real to them. Because when he went away, they didn't know he was coming back to life. It says all throughout the Bible, he told them, he told them, but they didn't understand yet. They didn't understand yet. They didn't, you know, it didn't all get put back together till they saw him resurrected, right? All the pieces of the puzzle didn't jive together till they saw the resurrection. Once they saw the resurrection, they were willing to die for him. But before the resurrection, they were running and hiding from the Jews. So, you see, it takes more meaning for them. Look what it says, though. He said, if I go, in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, say for me. If you're his, you can say for me. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, 
The Bible says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead after three days, that you'll be saved, okay? If you belong to him, he's made a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, which is the same thing that that Lord of the servants said when he came back from the wedding, right? He said, I'm coming again, but how am I gonna find you? Will I come back and see you watching and waiting for me? Or will you be drunk, full of food, beating people, messing with people? Will I see you watching and expecting and persevering, anticipating my return? Or will you be filled with all that this world has? How will I find you when I come back? See, that's what he was saying over there in Luke. He says here, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I'm gonna stop right there. Do you see the promise? Jesus said he's gone away, didn't he? And he said he's coming again, didn't he? How will he find you when he comes? See, the promise is that he's coming again. There will be a day and an hour when the Lord parts the skies and the trumpet of the Lord sounds, and the dead in Christ will rise up out of the ground, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. That's the promise of God. That is the promise. He's coming for his children. He's coming for his church. He's coming for his bride. He's coming for you and for me. Not, not a certain denomination. Not a certain race of people. Not a certain country. He's looking for people that belong to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And those people on that day will not be found involved with the cares of this life. If you're going to watch with all perseverance, you're going to have to abstain from the cares of this life. God's gonna have to be your priority. If you're gonna watch with all perseverance, you're gonna have to remove things that distract you from Jesus. Or block them out. Some people you just gotta mute. You may not have to tell everybody to quit calling you, but you know those certain folks, just hit ignore. If they're pulling you away from God, ignore. If it is pulling you away from God, ignore. Some people, they, they can't follow God because they're following, you know, their job or a spouse or a kid. Some people, you know, Johnny's got soccer practice, can't do this. Johnny's got this, can't do that. Johnny's got this, can't do that. What about Jesus? When, when is Jesus going to be our priority? How is Jesus going to find us when he comes back? You know, I believe the Lord's coming back soon. Amen. I believe he's coming back soon. 
he may wait another 200 years. He may wait another 2,000 years. I believe he's going to be soon, though. I hope this year. But you know, if the Lord came back right now, do you know how many people that are in churches right now would say, wait. Not yet. You know what that shows? Disillusionment. We're not focused on the right thing anymore. It shows that we've lost our first love. We've begun to love the things of the world. We've lost our first love. And it's time to get things right now. Now is the day of grace. Now is the age of grace. This is the church age. This is the time when you can find grace. But there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back, and it'll be too late for a lot of folks. A lot of folks it'll be too late for on that day. Now's the day to get things squared away. Now's the day to make him number one in your life. Now's the day. How will the Lord find you? Will the Lord find you with your loins girded and your light burning? Or will he find you involved in the cares of the world? As he said, eating and drunk and beating folks. Now, I don't think anybody here would be beating folks. But do you know the, 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 what he infers? The he said, she said stuff. That's what it's inferring. He's not talking about just people that like to get in fights. He's talking about people that get involved in drama. That's my parking spot. Don't tell me what to do. Don't look at me like that. It's people like drama. But if your eye is on the Lord Jesus, you let those things go. And when there are groups of people that can't let those things go, ignore. Let them do their thing. Move on. Move on. We've got a place to go. We've got a Lord that's coming back for us. Amen? And we've got to make sure that we're keeping our loins girded and our lights burning. Amen?